A powerful buzzword reappears, accused of political provocation by Beijing. The term dictator. Others dictators in the world, like Xi. The German foreign minister's remark follows a similar comment from U.S. President Joe Biden in June, both of them describing Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping plus leadership for life, a one-party system, and mass censorship. Is the dictator description accurate? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A strong word is making waves once again. The word of the day, dictator. If Putin were to win this war, what sign would that be for other dictators in the world, like Xi, like the Chinese president? German Foreign Minister Annalena Bayerbach made the remarks in an interview with Fox News during her U.S. visit last week. Beijing didn't take the description lightly and immediately summoned the German ambassador to Beijing. The next day, Beijing accused Berlin of political provocation. I think it speaks to the uh, recognition that it is an illegitimate regime and they are desperately trying to prevent the people of China uh, from being exposed to the truth. It's not the first time the term dictator has been slapped on Chinese leader Xi Jinping amid mounting tensions between China and the West. Back in June, President Biden referred to Xi as a dictator in reference to the shootdown of a Chinese spy balloon that traveled across the U.S. Biden made the remark off-camera at a fundraiser in California, saying, quote, the reason why Xi Jinping got very upset in terms of when I shot that balloon down with two boxcars full of spy equipment in it is he didn't know it was there. He then described the incident as a great embarrassment for dictators. Beijing hit back fast and hard at Biden's remark. Its foreign ministry listed what it called three serious offenses linked to the term's use, contradicting basic facts, violating China's political dignity, and political provocation. Back to Germany's top diplomat, in another interview with Bloomberg, she pledged to de-risk from China. Cutting down our dependency from Russia, but also now with regard to China. Bayerbach said her country's dependence on China could endanger peace in Germany, and that Berlin must defend itself. So what's behind the dictator accusations about Chinese leader Xi Jinping? Well, it's a, a government run by one guy with all the power. It uh, took power by force, ultimately, and it stays in power by force, the threat of force, intimidation, violence, murder if necessary. Uh, there's absolutely nothing consensual about the Chinese Communist Party and uh, its rule of China. Unlike the United States, China operates under one-party rule, and the Chinese Communist Party has been in power for over 70 years. During this time, party leaders have been bound by two-term limits. Xi Jinping removed the restriction in 2018, effectively allowing him to stay in power for life. This March, he secured a president-breaking third term as China's head of state. Many say Xi has become China's most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. He also presides over a one-party system that many human rights groups and Western leaders call a dictatorship. That's because it lacks an independent judiciary and free press. Critics of Xi and the Chinese Communist Party also get censored online, while those who dare speak out risk detention offline. China-backed programs in U.S. schools could be indoctrinating American children. Education experts say they pose national security threats, too. NTD's Arlene Richards covers a hearing that looks at potential risks. 
An education subcommittee on Tuesday heard expert testimony on how the Chinese Communist Party is influencing U.S. K-12 schools. Representative Aaron Bean says the CCP influence is rampant in America's classrooms. Over 500 K-12 schools across the United States have allowed the CCP to establish itself in their halls under the guise of Confucius classrooms. But when you pull back the curtain on these cultural exchange centers, you find a CCP-backed agenda that undermines the principles upon which our education system is built. And he said the classrooms threatened America's national, geopolitical, and academic interests. They are explicitly organized by the CCP Politburo to project soft power on American students. A parent advocate said most of these programs went underground during the last administration, but... We found that over the past decade, over $17 million has flowed to 143 districts and private K-12 schools across 34 states in D.C. This is likely a low figure, given that both the U.S. State Department and the Senate have estimated hundreds more programs in existence. Representative Bobby Scott said this. We can provide students with an inclusive, accurate, and well-funded education without conspiracy theories that fuel anti-Asian discrimination. One of the witnesses explained anti-Asian discrimination. It has become a harmful pattern that when the United States has tensions with an Asian country, Asian Americans and immigrants face the backlash at home and become collateral damage. Perceived as not American, we too often are blamed for the actions of a foreign government or entity. Representative Lisa McLean shared her immediate concerns. So I'm here to represent our kids, the American children, the majority. That's my job. That's what I'm elected to do. After the hearings, Representatives Virginia Fox and Burgess Owens said Americans should be concerned about the CCP. They mean us ill and the, they want to take over the world. If we have our, a foreign enemy that literally, uh, through lack of transparency, comes to our classrooms and teaches our kids things that are not true, then that should be a concern to all of us. In closing, Representative Dean said it's important to understand that it's not against the Chinese people, but it's against the aggressive nature of the Chinese Communist Party. Russian President Vladimir Putin is accepting an invitation to visit China next month. It would become his first trip abroad since the International Criminal Court issued a warrant for his arrest. The talks will focus on China's Belt and Road infrastructure project. This fully meets our interests. Our idea of creating a big Eurasian space fits into the One Belt, One Road program. Beijing said 90 countries have RSVP to the Belt and Road Initiative Conference in October. A rare attack on the world's largest democracy. Now Canada and India are mid-spat. But a top Indian army general said Wednesday that it won't impact defense ties. When we look at relationships with some neighbors of ours, where we may have had a standoff, but we continue to engage them at all levels, be it the military level and at the diplomatic level. And I'm referring directly to China here. So our diplomatic efforts as also our military efforts with even Canada continue to be there. The diplomatic argument comes after an accusation from Ottawa Monday, accusing New Delhi agents of links to the murder of a Sikh separatist leader. He was killed in Canada's British Columbia in June. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced Canadian intelligence agencies were pursuing credible allegations into the matter. The same day, Ottawa expelled India's top intelligence figure. India quickly dismissed the charge and ousted a Canadian diplomat in retaliation.
respect to the general's reassurance, he made the comment at a preview event for an upcoming defense conference. The Indo-Pacific Army Chiefs Conference begins in New Delhi on September 25th. Canada's Army Chief is set to attend. New support for Taiwan's bid to join the United Nations, this time from Paraguay. The government of Paraguay expresses its support for the Republic of China. Taiwan is to be an integral part of the United Nations system. Taiwan, having lost its seat at the UN, is a reflection of the shift of power in China. The government of Taiwan used to rule China, but fled the island after the communists took power. Under pressure from the Chinese communist regime, countries switched diplomatic relations from Taipei to Beijing, including the United States. The UN also booted Taiwan from the body, recognizing China instead. Back to the present, Beijing continues to squeeze Taiwan in international relations. Paraguay is the last South American country that maintains formal relations with Taiwan and one of just 13 countries worldwide. Europe is facing a major energy test, wrestling solar power back from China. Plans are in the works to make the content more self-sufficient with green technology. But in northern Portugal, efforts to start mining lithium are facing some stiff opposition. The material is essential for making electric vehicle batteries. Here's the story. I'm against the mine. I don't want any of it. I will not sell anything unless I have to. Land owned by Maria Laurero and her family could become one of Europe's biggest producers of the resource, as the EU attempts to reduce its dependence on places like China by producing more of the raw materials needed for green technology at home. London-based Savannah Resources wants to build four open pit mines there, eventually producing enough lithium each year for around half a million EV batteries. But Maria Larrero and many of her neighbours say they are not selling. I don't like this because it's my land and my home and I'm against it. We are being sacrificed in exchange for a benefit that we will never enjoy. In other words, they're trying to clean up the cities, which we don't believe will happen because the model remains the same, to pollute the villages, to pollute these places where there is still no pollution. So this is unthinkable for us. Portugal's APA Environment Agency says its lithium reserves have an important role to play in meeting the EU's targets, with Savannah's plans getting a favourable assessment in May. Savannah aims to start production at Barroso in 2026. And it says it's earmarked $40 million for community projects, alongside new jobs and a new road. Chinese exports of two critical materials taking a plunge. According to customs data, China did not export any processed germanium or gallium products last month. For comparison, China shipped five and a half to nearly nine tons of them in July. In July, China announced export restrictions on eight gallium and six germanium products starting August 1st, a move seen part of the escalating microchip war between Beijing and Washington. The two metals are used in the manufacturing of high-speed computer chips, used in the defense and renewable energy sectors. The European Chamber of Commerce is calling on Beijing for clarity. The chamber's annual report calls messages from the Chinese authorities over the past year contradictory. And European businesses worry China might resort to trade protectionism. Here's more. 
The European Chamber of Commerce on Tuesday published its European Business in China position paper for this year. The report says European businesses find the messaging from Chinese authorities over the past year contradictory. You cannot have it both ways. Which one is it? Is it the focus on ever higher degrees of national security, tightening regulatory regimes, focusing on self-reliance, as we had to assume at the expense of, of foreign companies, or is it this continued firm commitment to reform and, and, and opening up? The paper notes concerns over China's emphasis on self-reliance or even self-sufficiency, which makes it harder for European companies to enter the China market. While at the same time the value of China's export to Europe is about three times that of Europe's export to China. It has reached now a, a level where it's unsustainable and where it's becoming a political issue. So we very much hope that China will take a look at, at how do we restore more balance uh, into that uh, relationship. The decision to reopen China's borders in January was a welcome surprise, and many believed that a swift economic rebound would follow. However, this rebound failed to materialize for many companies. Although Chinese authorities released official announcements aiming at improving the business environment, they also passed a slew of national security-focused legislation, which has deepened uncertainty and raised compliance risks. The thing that we want to avoid as a European Chamber of Commerce is that de-risking becomes an excuse for protectionism. That would be poison for trade, that would be poison for the foreign business community in China. The report details the challenges faced by European companies operating in China and provides over 1,000 constructive recommendations for the Chinese authorities. The European Chamber of Commerce also calls for a grown-up conversation between Europe and China. Life savings poured into the dream of owning a home, only to end up with an unfinished shell without water, heat or electricity. That's the trouble for many in China right now, as the country's property crisis deepens. Here's the story. These Chinese home buyers have seen dreams of owning their own place shattered. They're chanting, we want our house back and holding contracts in their hands for apartments in an unfinished residential complex in the northwestern city of Tongchuan. Shi Chenyu is a construction worker. He bought a pre-sale apartment for $38,000, not knowing that eight years later it would still be unfinished. The block was advertised as a high-end complex with CEO-level service. But now, every night, she climbs 20 flights of stairs to sleep in a room without water, heating or electricity. I don't have any choice now. Living here, there's no water or electricity. When I come back from work at night and climb up the stairs to the 20th floor, I have to use a flashlight. For lighting, as you can see, I use a solar-powered lamp. It's set to automatic, so it turns on at night and off during the day. I virtually don't drink water or wash my face up here. I can even say I don't brush my teeth. From May until now, I've worked on the construction site during the day and come up here to sleep at night. She and a dozen others live in the block to pressure authorities to address so-called rotting or unfinished homes. 
Such buildings have become more common during China's years-long property slump, where many developers have gone bankrupt or struggled with their debts. Residents say construction has stalled since 2015, but apartments kept being sold until 2020. Many of Xi's neighbours are retirees who had bought apartments for their unmarried sons or labourers who can't afford to rent elsewhere. Inside, solar-powered lamps illuminate bare concrete walls and floors covered with layers of dust and gravel. Residents cook in a first-floor communal kitchen with a single gas burner. They also share the communal toilet in a makeshift metal shed. This 73-year-old buyer called the experience heart-wrenching, cruel and unimaginable. While this resident is a former coal miner, he paid $33,000 for an apartment five years ago. We've been busy our entire lives. The developer asked us to gather money, but we don't have a stable source of income. We work as security guards and take odd jobs to make ends meet. According to multiple housing contracts seen by Reuters, the names of the developer and project changed a number of times. Buyers claimed Tongchuan officials said three years ago that a committee was established to resolve the issue, but construction did not resume. The developer could not be contacted for comment. Coming up, a leadership reshuffle coming to the U.S. Air Force. As Beijing attempts to bolster its military on America's doorstep, Washington is planning a major overhaul of its aerospace forces in the upcoming months. Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall announcing a revamp of his department's upper ranks to prepare for a, quote, kind of war we have no modern experience with. Who's next in line for the job? And how could it shape the U.S.-China race for power? To discuss, we sat down with Frank Gaffney, the executive chairman and founder of the Center for Security Policy. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Avoid war with China at best or be prepared to win at worst. That's the message coming from a top U.S. military official. As Beijing continues to expand its aggression overseas, the U.S. Air Force is outlining a major overhaul in its leadership. What does this mean for U.S.-China relations going forward? To discuss, we speak to Frank Gaffney, the executive chairman and founder of the Center for Security Policy. Frank Gaffney, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. To begin, Germany's foreign minister called Xi Jinping a dictator. This follows President Biden's similar comments back in June. Why is the Chinese Communist Party so sensitive about that word? I think it speaks to the uh, recognition that it is an illegitimate regime. And they are desperately trying to prevent the people of China uh, from being exposed to the truth, uh, to having others outside of China validating the truth, um, lest it fester and feed a growing uh, opposition to this regime, uh, not just resentment, well-deserved, but also uh, determination, I think, um, to uh, you know, end the repression and the tyranny to which the people of China have been subjected by some estimates 100 million 
of them have been murdered by the Chinese Communist Party. And that doesn't take into account uh, 400 or so million more that have been murdered in the womb. So uh, talking about a dictatorship, talking about uh, a government that is uh, brutally repressive and illegitimate and uh, tyrannical um, are the sorts of things that we should be doing, frankly, a great deal more of. And uh, it's a major theme of our book, The Indictment. In fact, we believe that they should be considered actually what they are, a transnational criminal organization, that is the CCP, Chinese Communist Party. And Frank, this does come amid a time of an era of great power competition with China. How should that actually look? Well, I don't know that it's so much a competition as I believe we are at war with China now that we have been, in fact, for decades, uh, not because we want to be, but because the Chinese have decided that we are the obstacle to the realization of the Chinese Communist Party's long-standing objective, which is to be the dominant power in the world, the world's hegemon, and taking us down using unrestricted warfare techniques, um, economic warfare, elite capture, political uh, you know, subversion, and similar stratagems, including, by the way, working with their friends, those captured elites, to weaken our military, has brought us to the point where now I think we are at the cusp of a shooting war with China. And Frank, expanding on that, it seems for a couple of years now, China's Navy has actually surpassed the U.S. in terms of number of ships. And most recently, there's the headlines of the missing F-35 jet that was found crashed. What kind of message is that sending to China? Well, the ship's imbalance, and it will grow dramatically in the years ahead because the Chinese have put into place an enormous shipbuilding industrial base. Ours is small and declining and now generally, um, you know, uh, preoccupied with fixing up ships that we have rather than building new ones. Um, that is emboldening the Chinese, you can bet. It's not just, by the way, the quantitative advantages they've obtained, especially when you recognize that they have whatever the number is, something like 350 combatants now in the Western Pacific. We have, I think, in our entire fleet, something like 280, but only half of them, roughly, are in the Pacific. So that's a considerable quantitative imbalance, but increasingly the Chinese now have qualitative capabilities that if they don't exceed ours, certainly match them. And we've relied for a long time on a qualitative edge to uh, secure decisive advantage against enemies. And uh, that will not be present in all likelihood in a shooting war with China. So all of that is bad enough. And Frank, given the, say, weakening firepower that the U.S. has and the current leadership that we have in the military, what are the concrete steps the U.S. needs to do to reverse that trend? We have to um, do everything we can to train and equip and modernize our armed forces against this very present and growing danger. This is a very consistent theme of our committee on the present danger, China. And I would commend to your audience, um, well, 
over 110 webinars that we've conducted on this subject and related issues of uh, the Chinese war fair against our country, unrestricted and possibly now shooting, all of which are, are filled with information about the sorts of things that I think we need to do uh, as a society, not just as a, uh, as a military, to dissuade the Chinese from believing that they can act belligerently against us or our allies or both. Frank Gaffney, thank you so much for your time. Privilege. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.